What's prayer all about? How can ancient forms of prayer speak to us today? What's the value in stopping to listen to God? And does formal prayer have to be unemotional and detached? Or is there more going on? Welcome to Talking Theology, a podcast of Cranmer Hall Durham where we explore some of life's big questions and try to join the dots between theology, church and the world. I'm your host, Philip Fleming, and in today's show, I'll be talking to Dr. Jessica Martin. Jessica is a canon at Ely Cathedral, and previous to this, she was an English lecturer at Cambridge University and a parish priest in rural Cambridgeshire. And our question today is, how can tradition help us pray? Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Jessica Martin, welcome to Talking Theology. It's lovely to be here. Jessica, tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey of faith and and the role that you're currently uh, serving the Lord Jesus in. At the moment, I'm at Ely Cathedral. I'm called the Canon for Learning and Outreach. That sounds very Uh, grand. It sounds terribly grand, doesn't it? It means that I oversee the um, learning programme for school age children. We have about 11,000 children who come through the cathedral in the course of a year, coming to not necessarily, uh, it might be to do something to do with history or some other subject. It doesn't have to be to do with faith journeys, but of course they will find out about that as well. Um, I also am uh, the person who heads up the adult learning in whatever way that comes out. It might be um, something to do with the congregation's discipleship or it might be um, uh, having people to come in to do lectures. We got various different people come to do something called How to Be Good, in which we um, filmed interviews with people from different disciplines, an oncologist and a journalist and somebody who is in business to talk about what good looked like in their context Mm. Um, uh, or we might have somebody to come to do um, a a lecture about public ethics we've got some digital ethics lectures coming up in the next few months. How did you end up doing this role because your background's interesting in terms of the different roles you found yourself doing both before and after ordination. Yes well I was a I was a straight academic I suppose for quite some while. Um, I taught English, I didn't teach theology, I've got really no qualifications in theology at all apart from a postgraduate certificate. Um, but um, the, 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 um, the area of my research interest was the 16th and 17th century which was a time of huge religious turmoil and change when the That's Reformation happened <laughs> for a start uh, and where people were ready to kill and mm. to die mm. um, for particular articulations of their faith um, and I worked on um, uh, well I worked on early biography so I looked at the lives of people and how they were told mm. and who they were told for and what kind of effects they were expected to have on their readers and hearers um, and how that morphed into the beginnings of literary biography. And so I read a great many biographies of clergy one way or the other. Um, Good for you. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> uh, some of them were more exciting than others. <laughs> um, and... I found I was just more and more affected by the um, devotional writing Mm. that I was reading from that period, the poetry, Mm. um, 
And uh, the call to some kind of ministry, which I'd been resisting with some determination and success, I felt, for some years, eventually caught up with me. So I trained um, as a non-stipendiary um, alongside teaching at Trinity in Cambridge um, and uh, was the rather grandly named uh, Fellow in Holy Orders there for a few years um, at the same time as being Director of Studies in English. You talked about the experience of reading those writers from the 16th and 17th century, as you say, the, the rich vein of devotional writing and prayerful expression. That takes us towards our topic today, which is thinking about the life of prayer and the way it links in with ministry. What for you, as you've exercised your ministry over the years and continued your reading, what for you is at the heart of the theology of prayer that we might kind of start with this afternoon? The thing about prayer is it's not about you. And I think that's incredibly important. Mm. Um, as soon as you um, are, as soon as you go into a time of prayer, you're listening. Um, and since it's very difficult for people to listen, we build frames around that that are going to facilitate listening to God, which is what you're hoping that you will do. So what you bring to it may very often be in the way. Um, and some people do it with very kind of uh, tight frames. So you could call the daily office a really tight frame that takes you out of your own preoccupations and into something else. Um, other people have much looser frames in which they use different techniques to get themselves out of the way. Or where they even will bring themselves and say, look, there's all this mess. There's all this stuff that's stopping me hearing you. I'm just going to dump it in your lap. Um, do what you can with it um, and with any luck we can clear it out of the way in time for you to tell me something what are the um so if, if it's listening it's all about god yes not about us and it's listening and creating the space for that listening to take place what are the kind of theological or biblical scriptural resources that you go to to kind of feed that that kind of understanding of prayer there is a beautiful, very short passage um, in the first chapter of Mark where Jesus gets up really early in the morning before it's light and he goes into a deserted place and he prays. Um, and we don't know what he does. There's no, it's, it's only about a verse and a half, um, but he goes to be with his father. Um, mm. And he spends that time in prayer. And when he gets back down again, the disciples are all running about like headless chickens going, where were you? Where were you? We've got so much to do. Um, and he just says to them, now we'll go on to the next town. Um, and I find that passage so powerful um, because it's not about the business of whatever the agenda said. It is that he needed that time. He didn't have it. He was obviously pressed for time all the time. Mm. I think it's extraordinary that you know when you when you read the feeding of the five thousand, you find that that they, they ended up in that place in the first place because Jesus said to the disciples, "We're so tired. Let's go and have some time out." And everybody followed them, and then they had to look after them. Um, so clearly, they were always busy, always pressed by need. And yet you find Jesus over and over again just taking that time, even if he has to take it out of the time before it's light, simply to be with God and to listen to what God has to say. 
it seems to be um, there's an image that Rowan William uses, um, which is the sunbathing image, <laughs> that that prayer is like letting the sun soak you. It's not like doing something yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I rather like that image. So clearly there's that example of Jesus um, listening and uh, taking time out from the busyness is it in that that you see the connection between prayer and Christian ministry? And I guess I'm referring to Christian ministry in a broad sense, not simply those of us with collars around our necks, or, or, or but those of us who are, you know, intentionally seeking to serve the Lord in that fullness of what that means. Is it in that listening that you think the connection between the two takes place, or if not, where? There's a history about how people pray formally, um, and that history is one in which. Um, just as the Reformation is coming along, um, there's a, um, a move towards taking it out of the hands of the professionals. And so, so you start finding books that tell merchants how they're going to pray in their houses and women how they're going to pray at home and um, householders how they're going to pray with their families. Um, and when the Reformation arrives, that, um, that sense that the whole people of God are praying together um, is sort of exported, if you like, um, into the general populace with with fairly mixed results, it has to be said. Um, but a word like a word like ministry is a, it's a really tricky word because it sounds so professional, and it is a word that's used about the profession of being an ordained person or the profession of being a licensed lay minister or whatever it might be. Um, And yet it's a call that is for everyone who professes the Christian faith, everyone who who, who, for whom um, Jesus is the centre of their life. Um, And quite often, um, certainly I I, I found working with people when I was a parish priest, that they had lives that didn't really um, allow some of the kind of formal spaces that we give to formal prayer it was very difficult to do um, and some of the most nourishing times I ever had was going for breakfast with a group of people who prayed once a week together um, just before breakfast mm-hmm. um, and it was very informal um, it didn't have a liturgical shape at all. We had coffee together. We went round and talked about what was troubling us. And then we prayed together. Um, and it was immensely helpful. Um, so I, I do think there's a, a bit of a disconnect between the kind of, um, you know, what, what, what at the uh, cathedral they call the work of God, the Opus Dei, which is the round of offices, uh, which I'm bound to in a way that is quite monastic, actually. I will be there every morning at 7.30 um, to say morning prayer, every evening at 5.30 to say evening prayer or to be part of Evensong. And that punctuates and shapes my day to an extraordinary extent. And it's only two offices, but it's amazing how much that holds how um, I do all the rest of my day. But it is up to two and a half hours a day that I'm spending in formal public prayer. Um, When I was teaching at the university, I was coming in and I was saying to myself, I will not switch on my computer, I will not look at my emails until I have said said the office. Mm. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. 
So I think there's a real challenge for people in finding formal times of prayer. In in the light of that, um, and you've alluded to your own um, uh, discipline of of formal prayer, um, but how important that is for you that your day is shaped by that. Let's talk about this, what we call the daily office, which I never quite knew what it was when I first heard it. I, but yeah. it's, it's a, it's, it refers in, in the Anglican tradition to the morning prayer and evening prayer. What do you think in your experience in the different places where you've served has been the value of uh, that slightly more structured approach to daily prayer? It's an extraordinary service. It's unlike anything else that I do in my life, actually, because it's a collage. It's more like patchwork than it is like anything linear. It's not it's not like something that's got the arc of a narrative um, and it's not like something that's got the arc of a conversation as well. So it's unlike the other ways that people pray. Mm. Instead, you put things together that don't really belong together all the time. You've got your Old Testament reading, which could be anything suitable or unsuitable. Um, your New Testament reading, which again could be anything and might have a fairly tenuous relationship with the Old Testament. And in between those, you've got you've got a set of psalms um, which could express any emotion from the most unsuitable to the most glorious. Um, uh, you've got um, various bits of formal addressing of God in praise or in petition. Um, uh, and you've got a canticle, so you put your, yourself in Which is the a song place of, of... a song of scripture, really, A song it? of scripture, exactly. Yeah. So you put yourself in the place of somebody who sang to God once in a particular situation. And you say, right, now I'm going to do this. So in, 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 in the evening, you will, you will say or sing the Magnificat, which is the song that pregnant Mary sings to her cousin Elizabeth, um, to express, um, the, the way that the baby she's carrying will turn turn the world upside down. And she says, behold, from henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. That's the old, old fashioned version, which I rather love. Um, and when we say it, we're going, oh, we are those generations, by the way, your prophecy came true. We're going to call you blessed as well. <laughs> um, which I think is, is wonderful because you're, you're, you're being part of a fulfillment when you do that. And what does it mean to be part of that collage? I rather love that description of all these different expressions of faith. What, what, what does the listening look like in the midst of that collage? Or how, how does it work? Well, it's, it, it, it works. In some ways, it works. Um, you could almost call it a kind of modernist disjunction you know it works by fragmenting by saying um you you're not going to keep control of this you're going to get things coming from left field all the time and you just have to go with it um and so you're you're not tempted to control the um the direction of the message that you receive does does that make sense so you're in a position where you're you're you're, you're invited to receive rather than to control i think so you the, the the structure itself is holding you um and what it's holding you to do hasn't got it hasn't got a clear center in a way 
it could come from anywhere. It 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 repeats. It's the the structure is the same every single time. The canticles are the same every single time. So you just know them by heart. You could say them anywhere. I say them in the car when I'm not mm. um, not at the cathedral, and I don't you know because because they're in my heart and my head. I I don't have to have a piece of paper. And that sort of says something quite interesting to those of us who were perhaps brought up with prayer is something that I do with God or I do to God even, which is asking God for things or telling God yeah. things or um, uh, requesting or naming or those sorts of things, which feels to me quite generative. It feels to me something that I'm doing. And, 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 and what you're describing is is a pattern of prayer which is putting myself in the way of what could be a number of different ways in which I might receive from God, some of which yes. might chime with me, some of which might challenge me. Yes. And some of which, well, you think, well, that doesn't make sense. Hmm. Gosh, that was an awful passage to have to hear in this liturgical context. I, I don't know how I can kind of cope with that. And you go away wrestling with it. Hmm. Um, so it, it doesn't let you be all that comfortable. And I think that's one of its advantages in a way. Um, when I'm when I'm praying privately, I will reach for particular phrases, particular passages, particular um, uh, bits of of the Bible which are my touchstones, um, and I will have patterns of my own that might be quite narrow. I don't necessarily think they are, but mm. they they probably are, and this stops me from being too much in control of what I receive. Mm. It strikes me that the offices are part of a very long-standing Christian tradition and they didn't start with the Reformation, obviously they go back all the way in the monastic tradition. How would one answer the charge that, frankly, they they belong to a different era, an era with more time, an era with more knowledge of Scripture, an era with um, uh, perhaps less capacity to speak speak of your own emotions you know you just well, we just have to listen and do as we're told sort of thing how, how would you kind of answer that kind of question that really that they're, they're not really suitable for the modern age or the postmodern age i think it's part that that question in a way is part of a, a, a larger cultural discussion um about um the the, the nature of um modern learning and listening um and you could um so 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 you could you could you could answer it two different ways you could say this is not very immediately accessible because people haven't learned to sit still they haven't learned to be passive um they haven't learned to listen to long passages attentively da 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 um and therefore we're going to we're going to make it more palatable by doing something that's more like people are used to. Um, and I certainly think there is an argument for, 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 for some of that in some places and in some, in some contexts. Because people, you know, you don't want to make the way in hard, really. Um, on the other hand, um, you are deciding at that point that you're going to withhold an experience. So... To use an analogy, supposing you were trying to persuade children that it was fun to do things outside um, because actually they were used to kind of hyper palatable things that you can get on their, on your screen. So they'd rather watch Blue Planet than they would go bird watching. 
How do you get someone from thinking that watching nature is about a procession of animals coming out and just doing exactly what you want them to do immediately in a most spectacular way from the best camera angle? And they say, well, actually, it's not going to be like that. We're going to go and sit in a bird hide and it'll be cold and it'll be a bit boring. And you'll just look at this kind of green space. And perhaps if you're really lucky, some little brown thing will hop out, look at you for a moment and hop, out, hop, hop back again. And they're completely different kinds of emotional experiences. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I, I feel um, that that some of what faith offers people is saying, look, actually, you just have to slow down a bit. Um, it's not always going to come just like that as a, a, a kind of massive rush of experience that will overwhelm you so that you don't have to do any work. I don't think that um, praying slowly is passive. I think it's hard work. Mm. I think it's the hard work of concentrating. And, you know, there, there's this argument all the time about how children learn, um, where, where it's a real practical issue about how quickly you've got to, you know, how, what, how short your, um, the, the attention span is that you're dealing with. Do you lengthen that attention span or do you find gentle ways to lengthen it? Or do you just go, actually, we're never, ever going to get those kids to sit still for 40 minutes? And I think a parish priest is making that decision all the time, going, how am I going to do this all-age service? How am I going to make sure that people who aren't used to worshipping get a really good experience of worship that nevertheless doesn't deprive them of some of the joys of the slow. Mm. And it's it's very, very difficult. It strikes me as something of wider relevance. You said it's part of a broader discussion around learning and listening today. Does it touch also on the broader questions around faith itself and the journey of discipleship where... It seems to me the way you're articulating prayer is about uh, slowing down and learning to listen and learning to receive. And the, the daily office, as we call it in its traditional form, the morning and evening prayer is a, a way that enables or even requires us to do that. Are there connections with there about how we follow Jesus and the role of listening and yielding up control that, that are of wider relevance for the discipleship today? Yes, I think there are. Um, So just speaking personally, um, as a parish priest and then um, and and then in my role at the cathedral now, um, I'm constantly full of bright ideas about how we're going to transform this, that or the other thing. Um, um, And those ideas, some of them are good, um, some of them are not particularly good um, and there are many more of them than I could ever actually put into practice um, what I need to do is to bring that kind of bag of bright ideas um, and say I don't know which one of these I am being called to follow um, I can't, the idea that you aren't completely in control of your, uh, your, your immediate future or, you know, your professional decisions or, um, or your personal decisions, I think is quite an alien idea. Um, but 
the whole point of the journey of faith is you say, I'm not completely in control of what happens next. Um, I, I, I don't know whether this very sparky idea over here is something that you are calling me to do or whether it's just a really you know a a piece of kind of personal ambition turned turned around and called ministry um and I think that's um I'd like to be able to submit anything I think of to that to that test which is if I sit with God um perhaps I will and perhaps I won't hear whether that's what I should be doing but at least I need to stop and ask the question Otherwise, all I'm doing is trying to build um, my own sandcastles. And they might not be the right ones. You gave us a glimpse earlier of the way in which this slowing down, this listening, this saying to God, you are God and I am not, was something that you practised as an academic when you'd uh, pray morning prayer before you switch your computer on. Yes. Um, what are the other ways where actually this discipline of prayer has fed you in such a way as you're thinking those listening to this podcast, give it a try because there's something good to be experienced. What are the, what are the other experiences that you, you draw on to commend it to others? Are you talking about, uh, you're not just talking about the daily offices here, are no, you? You're talking about the, the about whole the idea dis- of structured, you know, yeah. structured or whatever formal prayer we use. I think the word that I keep coming back to is the word attention. It's about paying attention. And in that sense, you know, the, the, all, all the um, uh, interest in mindfulness, I think, is a, at least a, a parallel strand of the same thing. Um, quite often for me, the experience of prayer as it might happen, you know, at a railway station, walking the dog, um, uh, waiting to pick up a child from the school whatever um is like something that where you 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 are suddenly noticing exactly where you are you're not straining forward for what you're going to do next you're not looking back at what you did just now you are exactly where you are and that place is filled with a sense of um i can only call it brightening mm. <laughs> a light that, mm. that 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 fills the space you're in and makes everything look much realer i i, I can't explain mm. it better than that except that it's absolutely um it fills you up it stops you from feeling empty inside it's uh, it is a sense of being utterly companioned by god in what you're doing it's the opposite of meaninglessness, yeah. I suppose, is the best mm. way of putting it. Um, and it's something without which I, I'm not sure I would ever want to get up in the morning. We're recording this podcast around the time of day when the evening office, the evening prayer is said. You mentioned earlier about the Magnificat. The other canticle we sing is the Nunc Dimittis. Yes. Um, the song sung by Simeon as he took the infant Jesus in his arms. I wonder if, again, using the Book of Common Prayer, you might say that for us now. And perhaps we might take even a little pause before we do that, so that uh, that would be a place in which we inhabit those words for ourselves.
Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles, and to be the glory of thy people Israel. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Jessica Martin, thank you very much indeed for appearing on Talking Theology. Thank you. You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast from Cranmahal, Durham. Cran Mahal is a theological college within St John's College in the University of Durham, training people for ministry in the Church of England and other denominations. Find out more about us at cranmahal.com. <laughs>